From Cleveland, Ohio, this is the Cleveland Stage Podcast, brought to you by Fog Properties. Flexible spaces, all the right places. Visit FOGG.com for information. And now, your hosts, Tyler Whitten and Ian Wolfgang Hins. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Cleveland Stage Podcast. I'm your co-host, Tyler Whitten, along with my co-host, Ian Hins. And we're here today with our good friends, August Scarpelli and Walter Boswell, as we discuss uh, designing and TDing and all things that have to go with the technical side of producing new plays in wake of Ensemble Theater's 7th Annual Columbian New Play Festival coming up with the Play by Tom Frattari, Mama Moon, which Ian, of course, is directing. <laughs> uh, August, you are TDing the play, and you're also acting in the play that as Harry Nielsen. Of course, you're playing a true you're playing a true to life character. Absolutely, for the first time. Did you do a lot of research? Did you watch a lot of uh, Harry Nielsen movies? Uh, yes, there is one Harry Nielsen movie uh, called Son of Dracula that he made with Ringo Starr. It's a horrible, <laughs> horrible movie, but it's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, he's interesting because he wasn't a character that was in the public eye a lot. Mm. Um, he never performed live, as he says, because he didn't really feel like it or nobody asked him to. Um, but there are a couple of recordings and a few interviews here and there. But I spent most of my time listening to his music, which has been a lot of fun. And what's your favorite Harry Nielsen song? Oh, oh, that's tough. It's probably the Coconut Song. That's the Coconut sure. Song. The coconut How does that go? Oh, you want me to sing it? Yeah, yeah. I'll sing it. Sing, obviously. <clears throat> Brother bought a coconut, he bought it for a dime. Sister had another one, traded for the lime. You put the lime in the coconut and drank them both up. Put the lime in the coconut, you called the doctor, woke him up. Wow, wow. Really is yeah. your favorite song. Yeah. I thought we were going to put it's, you on the spot. Song. He also but. is known for soundtrack for Midnight Cowboy. Midnight Cowboy, mm. yes. Which he did not write that song, though he gets credit for it. Scott, he used to have a beautiful uh, but he sings voice. It. He used to. Is he still alive? No, he died in... January of 1994. I'm pretty sure they're all dead now. Yeah. Probably. He made it longer than most Not of his friends, Not to give away the ending. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Walter, you, uh, we have been fortunate to have you on the ensemble ranks, designing plays, especially of late. Um, you know, what is some of the differences or challenges or even some of the fun that goes into designing a new play? Um... Well, having the playwright there um, can clear up a lot of things or <laughs> cannot. Um, I don't think Margin of Error was a new play, but it, he, the playwright was on Eric Coble. site, sure. Eric Coble, during yep. that production. And that was fascinating for me because most of the time the people I work with are dead. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> This one is a challenge because, you know, the script keeps changing and, and you know, it's part of the new play series here. So it's, it's really not about the, take, the design, it's, it's more about the work and the script and the play. And so you just want to facilitate it as much as, it, you know, or as little as possible, I think. Unfortunately, this one has a lot of stuff in it. You know, it's... Props, I mean. Yeah, yeah, and all of that stuff. Well, we are actually uh, recording here on the rehearsal set for Mama Moon, and I'm looking around, and I'm looking at 
uh, a telephone, a flower vase filled with roses, another flower vase, some liquor bottles and glasses. A, is that a cricket bat over there? Oh, yes. Yeah. An old school, looks like a uh, old record player cabinet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, some leather chairs, a nice leather couch, which is a staple on any American new play. <laughs> That's right. And an old school TV. So, yeah, it does look and, like... And uh, don't forget the, uh, what do they call it? Oh, telescope. 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 Yeah. And I spy a wall. Oh, and, and some old school I, playboys. I spy a, a light, and, and I see... Set. The drum carpet, set. and I see. So this is a real uh, <laughs> crappy show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, what do you think though? Are like how? So this this is a period piece, if you will, right? It takes place in the uh, mid seventies. Two spans four years. Nineteen seventy to nineteen seventy four. Essentially, it's it's not, the first act takes place in nineteen seventy. Second act takes place four years later in the same apartment. And the gist of it is uh, Mama Moon, you know, the um, Mama Cass, Big Mama Cass, mm-hmm. um, passed from away the the from the Mama and the Papas, passed away in 1970 in, in, a, in a flat, essentially, in London. And four years later, Keith Moon also dies in the same flat of a heart attack as well, the same way that mm-hmm. uh, Mama Cass. And that was kind of the impetus for, for Tom's piece, I think, so. So, Walter, as a designer, what are some techniques that you like to use to set the era or the time period rather than just having – I mean, look, couches – I'm an untrained eye, so couches and furniture for the most part. You know, in in this instance, we don't really have to set the era. It's not like we're doing Mad Men where, you know – I mean, part of that whole thing with Mad Men was the dresses and the suits and the smoking. Mm-hmm. You know, we all know. And the abusive women. And, and yes. the booze in the office. Yeah. <laughs> General disregard for feminism, but yes. Um, I mean, these people bring their period with them, you mm-hmm. know. It, and, and so that's, I, I don't think that's a big part. My discussions with the director was that you know, we're not trying to, um, you know, harken back to 1974 mm-hmm. um, with the set. We're mm-hmm. we're really just kind of provide the what they need to walk through the show, which is the mm-hmm. doors and you know places to sit and yeah. and you know most of the time when I look at a show, you'll look at those elements and you'll also look at. Especially in at the ensemble, where oftentimes we're in the thrust circumstance, and you want to set up a, a an environment where you can block the show interestingly, and the actors can interact with each with each other, and and provide some good blocking patterns. That's that's one key element. Um, but you know, other shows you do want to hearken a whole visual element and that was true of Harry Eight, especially mm-hmm. where you know it um it was kind of a unit set but it had to satisfy like eight or nine different environments imagined environments you mm-hmm. know the whole of the ship yada 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 um this one and and the funny thing was as we talked about the show you know, we have a limited budget. We didn't want to do the whole box set thing. We didn't know what would that bring to it, per se. We just knew that we needed these places to sit and we needed these doors. 
So then I came up with the idea of providing the doors and indicating the walls by some hanging. At first, I was looking at pictures hanging on the wall with no wall. Mm. But when there are a lot of pictures on a surface or an imagined surface, suddenly the audience brings the surface with them. You know, it's like, sure. oh, those pictures, pictures hang on walls. There's a wall there. You know, you can play games like that, you know, and the audience will fill in the blanks. Sure. In this case, I decided to do sort of like an architectural frame on the wall. Well, here I got some additional research of the actual apartment. And in fact, those architectural frames are in that apartment. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, woo! <laughs> <laughs> um, so in this case, we're, we're just indicating the walls and the doors, and the audience fills in the rest of it. And it's not about you know, madman, where you try right. and set up that whole atmosphere. It's it's really... So you weren't concerned, like, we need a cricket bat from the 1970s. It can just be a regular cricket bat. I guess that's not really directed at you, because you're not the one who got the cricket bat. But I mean, like, <laughs> Ian, Well, it, it does when you get to the stereo, because it's yeah. like, wait a minute, that wouldn't be the kind of stereo they'd have then. They didn't have, you know, it would have been some big console or... You know, they didn't have flat screen TVs. And so, you know, yeah, mm -hmm. there are requirements like that that mm -hmm. you have to be, you have to pay attention to. Um, yeah, I think that as much as the set is a, is a character in the show, because, you know, it, it's really the place where both of, both uh, Cass and Keith die, I think that, um, I think it's really like Walter said. It's just it's it's more of um, a conduit to help the words tell the story. Sure, you know we don't want to get into, you know, well that wasn't the color salmon they used in 1970. <laughs> on, you know, it's not really about that. It's about representing things. So you know, like like you were talking about earlier, the 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 stereo and record console is a unit. You know, it's like my grandparents used to have. It's a it's a huge unit, and that would be something that w would be comparable to what they had in in, yeah. in that and era. Audiences would know that if it's wrong. Sure. Yeah. You know, you don't want to come in with something that's wrong, and and like then, you said, like a flat screen TV or a phone. You know, you're gonna have to have a rotary phone. You're you got to have, have the right kind of phone and minimal things like that yeah. that are from those eras. Um, so what then, Walter, as a designer, and you've done, uh, I mean, you've done classical plays, you've done more contemporary plays, just in the ones that we've mentioned, like Harry Ape and Margin of Error, and this new play, what as a designer excites you about designing a show? Or when you read a show, um, is it how much of a character the set is, or is it the challenges? You know... You know, if somebody writes a stage direction that's like, she sinks into the couch and disappears, are you like, yeah, let's make that happen? Exit stage left, pursued by, by a bear. bear? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> stage right. I think it's stage, it's stage left. It's stage it left. was uh, that Hanna-Barbera cartoon that was exit stage left. I'm talking about? You, I don't know. You, for me... <laughs> I only know Shakespeare. <laughs> That's true. We've learned that about you. For me, a a design is successful when it when it creates both. It it says what it needs to do, to say theatrically, about 
the piece, it creates an environment where the director and the actors can create that, um, can, you know, perform the play when all of those elements hit on the same sort of are in, in alignment with each other. And I think this truly happened with um, Harry Ape. Mm -hmm. I think it happened with um, uh, Margin of Error. Mm -hmm. uh, Margin of Error was an interesting piece because, you know, it takes place in a... In a, in a um, Concourse of an airport, sure. Cleveland Airport. Yeah. So, do we do a concourse of Cleveland Airport? And when I started thinking about it, I thought, God, what do you always think about when you think of airport concourses? It's just windows, windows, walls of windows, and you know those those damn chairs, those yeah. seating <laughs> units. And so, if I showed you one of those seating units, you know, you know exactly where you're at. They're yeah. unique to airport concourses and what else is unique to an airport concourses the Those cheers bars <laughs> well, <yeah>, absolutely <laughs> but you want to find the things that make that statement the strongest yeah. in our case it was the windows the the seating unit and the carpet squares yeah because those you know those are ubiquitous with Airport, and that's interesting because, and like you say, the audience will fill in the gaps. Yeah, once they you don't see have those. to put up all the goddamn walls right. and the exit signs <laughs> and yada yada yada, you know, because you immediately go, oh yeah, airport concourse. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and what was I really liked about that that design was the dynamics of it, the fact that those those windows were sort of in a forced perspective kind of coming at you because we were doing it in a thrust the carpet squares define the playing area mm. and and you know and they stuck to that and they stayed on those so it it provided it said airport with all the theatricality and all the interest without you know doing realistic airport which you know, if you want to do that, you should be doing the film. Yeah. Get yourself out to an airport. You know, as a playwright, I don't have <clears throat> a design mind. So, I mean, I essentially write like, you could do this on a blank stage. Because I don't know, I don't want to tell people how to live their lives. <laughs> so, I don't know, like, you, then you read Eugene O'Neill, who was such a failed novelist. It's pathetic. No, Tennessee Williams is who you're thinking And of. you go through the first, like, five pages of any O'Neill play, and all he wants to do is describe the place in detail. So I always wonder, like, what do designers appreciate more? Uh, reading in detail how the playwright envisions it. And there's still playwrights who do it. Well, stop there, because I'm not as interested in what the playwright reads from it as much as the director reads from mm. it. That's and what I've been other, saying. <laughs> well, who knows what the playwright... Yeah. You Unless know, they're he's, here, right? He's been dead, you know, two centuries or... It, sure, but I mean, Eugene O'Neill puts... He puts yeah. pretty descriptive... I mean, we obviously we can ignore all that, and I'm sure very many people do. Well, I think it's different, too, with new plays, right? So like you were talking about earlier, having the playwright on site is a, is a lot different experience, but I think... You know, I think also you have to take it in historical context. So, for example, O'Neill, when O'Neill was writing, 
the movie industry and the realism was much different, right? So the the movements were different. But even O'Neill really experimented with expressionism a lot like the Harry Ape, you know? So I think it, it was he was conscious of it. Some of his later plays like, um, you know, The Iceman Cometh, which is set in this bar that really was the place where he tried to kill himself, is probably just such a strong memory for him. I don't know that he was able to to see it in any other context, oh, sure. you know what I mean? And so then it just becomes about the interpretation of his context, like it does with anything else. But if you could reproduce that, you know, you've got historical documents that show you what that bar looked like, and you historically produce that on stage, what does that bring to the audience? Mm-hmm. I mean, I get what you're saying. Or where maybe I think maybe where you're going with this, you know, I don't think it adds anything to the play necessarily, unless it's functional. But I think audiences get really excited when they go into a play like Wicked, and they see the extravagant sets, right? They kind of encompass the entire theater. It's not my thing, but I get it. You know, a number of years ago, a a major theater in this town did a production of Moon for the Misbegotten, and what was actually a highlight of their much of their advertising and much of the chat about the show was they had built a working stream and a pond downstage mm. in the pit. And, you know, what part of Moon for the Misbegotten is about a working pond <laughs> and a stream downstage yeah. center? Mm-hmm. And in fact, when you do that, oftentimes... You know, the audience leaves whistling the pond. Mm. <laughs> um, I, I actually find that level of realism and that level of theatricality and, you know, high spectacle. And, it, you know, certain shows, yeah, you need that. Sure. Music, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, like, so when we did Iceman Cometh, mm-hmm. I mean, that, I thought that was a really great set. And it wasn't, a, certainly if our budget was, you know, a bigger theater's budget, it probably could have been more ornate, more detailed, I imagine. Really? Um, I mean, Ron Newell did that. And, yeah. and, and Ron Newell comes from a, um, a background of, and he'll tell you, working with, with uh, his mentor, Shirley Braithwaite, who was a painter at Halley's Department Store. And that's how Ron Newell got into designing sets. So Ron is very much a Ron, – Ron defaults a lot to painting and almost um, – and it's hard to explain, maybe an impressionistic style mm. of, of painting for Ron in a lot of ways. So if you look at the bar that's still in our lobby, which yeah. is the bar from Iceman, if you go up and do you look at it, it's not it's not like somebody took a lot of time and, and made these dowels and put right. them on a, you know, it's literally a piece of cardboard tube cut in half, mm-hmm. painted to look something like what that dowel might look like. But it, because it's theatrical, it works in a way, you know, all over. And he also did a really brilliant thing with that set. And that he took, you know, O'Neill calls for a back, a back room in that set. Oh, sure, yeah. And so it's it, oftentimes that the, these sets are for Iceman are these long kind of window box sets where you've got on one side you've got the room and then you've got this other th- part of the room that's separated with a curtain. That was a realistic function of the day. Like behind the curtain was a private room. Then and they could serve alcohol whenever. We got rid of that because we were in a thrust. And Ron really had separate. He had the bar section, and then he had a separate section for Slade uh, at the at the kind of upper left section, which was a table, and then the rest of the bar, which were kind of tables downstage. And he 
And, and so his interpretation, because of the set, really allowed it to work without having to make right. a back room, right? Because it just kind of... Yeah, and what, the other thing that Ron did well in that show is you had a number of levels so mm -hmm. that, you know, it accommodated the blocking and actors, you know, speaking to each yeah. other, you know. And I don't know that people realize how critical that is. Mm -hmm. um, the levels and the... Or keeping in mind blocking, you mean? Absolutely. Yeah. So, it, you know, and one of the things I fight oftentimes is you have these straight line shows where everybody's in a line and they just mm -hmm. kind of talk out. Well, in a thrust, that, that certainly doesn't work. In a proscenium, more so. But it's boring. Yeah. <laughs> it's boring to watch. <clears throat> and you'll notice most of my design work is on some... Strong diagonal, oftentimes, because that's a much more entering dynamic. So mm -hmm. if I'm talking to you downstage or you're talking to me upstage, you know, there is a dynamic there that, mm -hmm. and it's in a thrust theater that's critical. It's critical that you have that dynamic. Sure. Um, so which do you prefer to design for, or do you have a preference, thrust or proscenium? I don't have a, a strong preference, no. no. I mean, the stagecraft of designing for a proscenium, it, there's more stagecraft. You have a single perspective for the audience member to watch, and so by c having a single perspective, you can frame that picture so that it, it becomes a picture. And, and where I enjoyed proscenium design most was when I was lighting my own shows mm. because you know then you're god you know it's stormy and you know this is murky and so you have all this stuff you can do with light which is much harder in a thrust because you don't have a single perspective there's three different perspectives or multiple perspectives and so whatever you do upstage even though we do have sort of a proscenium frame within that thrust is lost to, you know, two-thirds of the audience. Um, and as a lighting designer, you know, that's wonderful when you do all that, that those silhouettes and mm -hmm. murky skies and, you know, opera skies upstage there and silhouette things. And, you know, you have less options for that in a thrust environment. Um, so, yeah, you have more theatrical devices available to you in a proscenium mm -hmm. environment. Sure. Hmm. And, you know, essentially as a designer and a lighting designer, you, you get to play God. <laughs> yeah. Well, you do. Sure. You know, it's like... Uh, yeah. It's almost as close as you'll probably get to being a film director in a lot of ways. Because you choose where the focus goes. You Yes. Well... But I mean, other than the in, play co and all in that collaboration with right. the, the director, where yeah. he puts people, and if the director has a good sense of or trusts you, then you know that's the best of all possible worlds. And we reached that with certainly Harry Ape, yeah. and it was an <clears throat> exciting show to watch. And and you can also sort of fine tune. Ooh, this is a really difficult scene, and I don't know about how he read it, wrote it. We're going to make it sort of dark and murky. And, <laughs> well, yeah. And hopefully they talk fast. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you, you can enhance something incredibly along yeah. those lines where 
if you do that in sort of basketball court lighting, it's like, yeah, I can't believe I just watched that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Angels too is part is is you know an example of the of the proscenium design. You know, with the four screens, you can never do that in a in a thrust. In a thrust, sure. It just would never work. And and you're also like Walter says, you're also controlling the lighting in a different way. You know, in a, in a thrust, the lighting. Control the audience's is, focus. Yeah. Don't look here; it's dark. Yeah. Yeah. Look over here where there's a spotlight on somebody. Yeah. And you can move them around like a ping pong ball. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can do that in a thrust, but it's it is. More collaborative in that sense, I think, in a thrust in a way, because if the if the director doesn't have a good sense for how to use the space, it's difficult. And in a proscenium, you can kind of say, well, this is the area that's lit. So just keep them in this area over here. You know what I mean? It's it's a different conversation, I would say, with the designers in a proscenium than it is in a thrust, you know, because the requirements are different for me as a director. I don't know how Walter feels about it as a designer, but. So what do you think comes first then, the director's vision or the designer's? The director's. Yeah. Well, I think it's a, for me, and, and I think for me, the, the plays that I've enjoyed working on the most and that I think have been the most successful have really been where it's informed from the designer. I mean, you have the early conversations with the designer and you say, this is kind of what I'm thinking. But then where that the magic of that collaboration happens and they say, well, this is what I hear from you and this is what I think. And and if you're communicating well, typically whatever that that design that comes out of those conversations typically is better than anything the director could have ever imagined anyway. Mm. Right. It's it it it's something that and, and really good designers and designers, I find that have worked a lot like Walter and and Ron. Um you know, they have a sense for how the space is used already, right? Like they've seen it. They've seen oh, enough sure. theater. They've been around. They've done enough. They've worked in spaces enough where I think they, they can see, well, this is a thrust. The, the, the space has to be used kind of in a certain way. And they give you the tools, right? Without the tools, the director can get lost mm. a lot of times. Yeah. You know? I mean, I've done shows here and Margin Error was a perfect example where – I did some early sketches for Eric, or not Eric, for, well, Eric. Schmiedel, yeah. Yeah, Schmiedel, who is the director. And, because and, I don't, sometimes I, you know, I will bring something to the preliminary ma- meeting. And we talked about it. And two things about when I do work. I worked on brown paper. In fact, I've worked on the back of grocery bags, you know, because that was what was available. That. But usually I have a big roll of butcher, like brown butcher paper in my studio that I just rip off. And, and I work very loosely on that because I don't want to get married to a sketch. Sure. I don't want to fall in love with a sketch. or the, I, They should be disposable. And when I went in with the initial meeting, he says, you know, I was thinking more this way, not that much, so much that way. And so that was totally discarded. And then we reduced it to what it became, which I was mm-hmm. much happier with. But, you know, it does depend on what the director's approach is as mm-hmm. well. And one of the things he said to me early on was, you know, it's sort of like, you know, um, waiting for Godot. Um, and and I thought, oh, wonderful, I, I can work with this. Yeah. <laughs> um, because that... that 
that gives me an underlying kind of concept about what we're dealing with. Um, there was another show I did here that Jelly Belly was that a, a was that how so? Oh, I I did change radically, but that was more so based on some of my real estate real uh, some of my research and an early chat we had. Yeah, but I mean, I think I, no, I mean, I think you came into it, but what I think that you have an aesthetic that you you brought to that show that really helped it. You know, I think that that the the world that you helped create in Jelly Belly was, and we talked about it being very much downstage, right? Very much in the in the face of the audience. And I think, and in fact, last night um, somebody came up to me and they and they said, "Wow, you know, that's what I think it might have been Val Val Young he said. Wow, I really loved." You know, I love was in your face. Yeah, she loved right that there. fact. She loved the set and how yeah, close yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. And that's you know? that's a first for us in some ways to be that. I mean, that in the audience's face. I mean, I think yeah, I think we did it in Harry Ape, right? We certainly we certainly dabbled in it. I mean, there was more scenes in that, and it was a different use yeah, of space. Harry Ape was one of these, you know, where you could set up those those wonderful sort of tabloids. But yeah. Yeah, and and part of what happened with um, the current production was I, I've, I've done a number of shows here where they were played way upstage, and the act there was this gulf between the actors and the audience, and it just made me crazy. <laughs> and so this was sort of because then you have this huge basketball court between you right. and the actors, and then. It's like, well, aren't you going to paint boards or something? And it's like, I don't want them looking at the floor. <laughs> I, I want them looking at the actors. And, you know, so, and actually my initial floor plan was, I think, two feet further down it the stage was. than it really it was. was. Yeah, it was. But, you know, I was happy to move it upstage once they started blocking. Sure. Um, um, yeah. August, you're still here. Oh, hello. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, as a technical director. you got to learn how to jump in as a technical director. <laughs> as a technical... <laughs> I can listen to these stories all day. I can listen to this all day. you got to jump look in. At a, um, you know, a set design or a scene design. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, what are some of the things that you're looking for off the bat? Or are you just like, I guess I'll do that? Or is there a point where you're like, how the hell am I supposed to do that? I always have, I always think that at least once. Uh, but I think I'm lucky in that, um, I guess as a technical director, I'm still uh, pretty new to it and I'm not so precious about my process. And then I can look at something in a drawing or whatever and see the basic structure and then, you know, just try to mostly figure it out. I don't have a sort of set way in that I do things, just in the way it happens to need done. You know, you have to deal with reality. And I guess, you know, that's the tech director's job, especially in early meetings. When you well, have early... a big part of your job yeah. here because yeah. one of those realities is money. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can go to www.ensembletheaterclee.org and donate. You <laughs> click the donate tab. And watch our set designs go through the roof. Right, right. No, Man, you know, we take Guam currency for all of our listeners in Guam. It's perfectly fine. Margin of Error was not an expensive show. This this show, Jelly Belly, came in at like, what, $80 tops? Something like yeah. that, probably. Well, that's because we have a lot of stock, so that's right. one of the things. Right. As a technical director, you know, you knew what the stock was, right? Right. You got to know what you have and uh, what you can work with and how you can, in whatever way, and it's nice in theater, I guess, 
as opposed to normal construction is you can make you can use less screws. You can use a lot less screws. Um, Depends. Have you been to Tyler's front porch? Oh, man. Oh, Careful. <laughs> but you can use an, an array of materials to make um, housing siding. You know, they could be any number of things or from any number of boards, and there's a lot of a lot of different ways you can do it. And uh, So what's like? what are those conversations like? So if Walter gives you a design, <laughs> and, you know, the design, I assume, Walter, you don't probably design out of out of stock specifically. I'm sure it's in the back of your mind, but you know, you still have a design, would you say, that, that's there and then you collaborate with the TD? Is that kind of what that, what's that process yeah, like? I mean, yeah, on, on this show, we met um, well, a handful of times last week and looked at what doors we've got and I picked out doors that would work. Right. Rather than me draft up the doors, especially on this show because it's a low budget, Mm-hmm. It's like, what do you got? Yeah, I can work with this one, this one, and this one. Mm-hmm. I don't like this one. This one's too heavy. And Absolutely. we narrowed it down to what doors would work. And then it's up to um, the TD to just, you know. To make it work. Make it work. Right, right. Um, I say what it's supposed to look like. And I just want it to look like the siding on a house mm-hmm. for Jelly Belly. And I, th- and I don't care what it looks like upstage, you know. I just want it to stand and be in place. And the other thing I want is that I don't want to paint it off a ladder. I want to paint it because <laughs> <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> um, and you know, so yeah. we'll go through that those those steps and make choices, and yeah. you know. I'm not a fussy about exact dimensions or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I can work with what you've got. I, You know, most of the theaters I've worked in all of my life have been economic organizations with mm-hmm. not huge budgets. And so I'm more than happy to work within the stock. And, you know, sometimes you can't do that. You have to go out and buy X, Y, and Z. But, mm-hmm. you know, so... On Jelly Belly, one of our major expenses was to buy a screen door. Mm-hmm. It's so much easier to just go to Home Depot and buy a real right. screen door than it is to build a screen door. And it makes more sense time-wise. Mm-hmm. That's always been the fascinating part of the process to me is how a design grows or changes, even if ever so slightly, as you get in and actually build it. And it depends on how much how much time you have to build it. Um, how much help you have? How much help you have, and uh, what sort of space you have to do it. Um, like example, uh, for example, Jelly Belly, we, in a sense, built it twice. Um, built the walls basically in the rehearsal space so that they could be taken down and painted much easier. And then they had to be built slightly differently, unlike normal stage walls, so that they could be taken down and put back together. Um, because and still make show the same picture on the deck, right? At yeah. the time, right? Right. So absolutely. we built. He built it ahead of time. Mm-hmm. I painted it. It was he, angels in America. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was right. up, and yeah. so but we had only a week turnaround on that show, right? Yeah, about till tech. Yeah, till yeah. tech. And you know, one of my mantras is that the, the scenery needs to be done on the first day of tech. Mm-hmm. You can't light a show that hasn't been painted. Right. You can't light a wall that ain't there. You know, right. and it's and you actors don't need to be dealing with the door that was added, you know, the night before dry the final dress. Mm-hmm. You know, they 
I, they they should have the privilege of working on what they're going to have for a week sure. yeah. as you know you go through that stuff and so I, I i really hate that last minute kind of stuff i want to be done on on the first day of tech and then we can make adjustments or you know Absolutely. touch things up or take it down a little bit but there there's such minor things at that point mm-hmm. um and that and that's part of you know doing theater is accommodating the other artists that are involved and throwing surprises at them is not something that that um, I think they want because that's a difficult week for everybody that final yeah, week right. of tech the director has work to do the actors have work to do mm-hmm. they don't need to be dealing with oh the door swings upstage ooh <laughs> <laughs> do that yeah. and you're not doing it just to produce a widget you're doing it to interpret a piece of literature into a staged piece. Yeah, yeah and there are no egos involved in theater, which is something that's really nice. Um, it makes the pro... What? what? <laughs> no, 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 no egos at all. No. Not this world. You learn very quickly that it's important to not be selfish or think that what you do is more precious than what anybody else does. You learn very quickly that sometimes you just need to go for a walk for five minutes. Absolutely. Let everybody reset. Well, Absolutely. you know, if you bring that with you, it may be the last time you work. Sure. Yes. Because nobody wants, nobody has time for you know, that. And I think that's true of any field, right? It's, it's a lot of the times it's, uh, you'd rather, rather work. It's the personalities that you want to work with sometimes trump maybe talent or skill. I think so, and that's what's Sometimes. sort of been nice, of, or what's nice about this, uh, the process of Mama Moon, is most of us, if not all of us, with a few struggles aside, have worked together in these capacity capacities and in other capacities before, and so um, we know how that game goes, and that's an important thing, I think, when you're creating something that's brand new, that nobody's ever seen or heard before, is being able to just step back and say, what do we need, when do we need it, and how, and that's what's most important than what I want or Walter wants or anybody else wants by themselves. Yeah, I think what's yeah. interesting is too, I think, you know, Tyler's talked a lot about it and maybe it's good to get your take on it, but the concept of the artistic home, right, mm-hmm. is really kind of an overarching. Yeah. Um, you know, I saw Bobby Williams last night. He came to see Jelly Belly. Oh, great. How's he And doing? I saw he's doing great. I said, hey, oh, it's good thing. You know, thanks for coming out. He's like, you know, this is home for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, I think that's something that is, um, that's developed here as part of the culture. Yeah. You know, and I think, and you've said it before, and I think from a, a, a new play development, you know, standpoint, I think that's helped Mama yeah. Moon because we have, I mean, you look at the actors in Mama Moon, we've worked with Walter as a designer. Yeah. We've worked with most of the actors. I mean, there's yeah. what, maybe two actors that are new-ish, but right. other people in the cast have already worked with Absolutely. them. Absolutely. So it's a very, you know, and for Tom in these rehearsals, it's been great because he's been able to get this open feedback and nobody's really looking around the room going, how's everybody going to take right. this? Right. They right. already know that I'm a jerk. So whatever I say <laughs> is going to come out that way. Right. You know what I, and yeah. I mean? In all seriousness, though, yes. it's an open – it's a very open, safe environment mm-hmm. because of that, I think. But that's true in a lot of organizations. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it, I agree. You I know, agree. so it's not like it's something – you know, that a newcomer could walk in here, and if they've done enough theater in that vein, yeah. in mm-hmm. that environment, they would be very comfortable with that. It's not like you you have to be a member of this team for, you know, sure. so many right. years before you get the ensemble right. way. Yeah, but I think 
to speak a little bit more to what Ian's saying, um, I mean, I, I think, you know, I've worked in, Walter, you certainly have worked in a lot of theaters as well, and I think everybody at this table has worked in enough theaters. You know, there are places, and not just theaters, but I think any artistic endeavors, there are places where maybe breaking down the ice, if you will, takes a lot longer. Or to get in with a sort of, to, to a place to where you feel comfortable there, where you can be like, and what I like about Ensemble is I know everybody well enough here. I can say, hey, I have some pages. Why don't I buy you all some beer and some food and let's just hang out for a night and see what it looks like on its feet. You know what I mean? And I think that's part of um, what's, uh, I think, very helpful for a, a small professional theater-like ensemble to where, uh, you know, we're all sort of in it together in a lot of ways. And that includes, obviously, playwriting and mm -hmm. directing and acting, but also designing. Uh, you know, how many of us were here late into the night uh, taking a part in building Angels in America, right? Mm -hmm. You don't get that in a lot of theaters, especially the ones who are larger and have budgets far more than ours, where um, actors are, you know, volunteering their time to stay mm -hmm. till four in the morning. Yeah, I get what Walter's saying. I think, I think that, I think that it's, you know, it's also though the barrier here, and I think that's what you're kind of touching on. You know, I think the barrier to joining that ensemble here is pretty low. Yeah, I mean, it, it <laughs> yeah. has to do with you know what I mean? If you come yeah. here and you say, I want to be a part of this, right? then, you know, okay. after the background check comes through... Buy me a beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know. I, mean, I think that has to do with size. It yeah. has to do with um, our approachability. Yeah. And I think there are theaters who, um, who are maybe are insular... And maybe their insulation is a lot larger than ours even, but it's still right. tough to crack into. Mm -hmm. And there's also an element of failure um, and the willingness to accept failure. Mm -hmm. And that can come across as sounding wrong. That, you know, no, everything we do is finished and perfect right. and everybody's got everything spot on. Well... The problem with setting that that mark at that level is that there it it begins to whittle away at how much risk you can take as an organization mm -hmm. and as a group. Um, do yeah, you I agree mean, on. You what do you mean by what do you mean by risk? What do you mean by whittling away? We may not. This may not be the perfect piece. Mm -hmm. here and so or this show if we look at this play and we think oh gosh is this is this performance ready at this point mm -hmm. as a piece on the piece of paper it's like mm, it's in a process it's in yeah. a process but you have you know as opposed to you know everything ensemble does is a finished perfect really wonderful mm -hmm. piece and and once you set that level mm -hmm. then you you have to eliminate some risk i think well i think it's inter it's an interesting way of looking at it. i've always looked at it as nothing is ever finished right sure mm -hmm. i've and i think you know and i think tyler and i have had this conversation with tom in a lot of ways and a lot of the playwrights you know it's 
the stage rights workshop is maybe the most obvious way of looking at it is, you know, it's this idea that it is finished, right? Like I'm going to write this play and it's finished. <laughs> well, no, this is an amazing opportunity. Like Walter was talking about earlier for us to all collaborate yeah. and bring, you know, and bring these other opinions and these other experiences to this work. And if nothing else, a reaction to it, right? right. You know, the, the theater is not a, an art form where a guy says or, or a girl says, I have this idea. I'm going to lock myself in this cabin and then I'm going to write it and it's going to come out. It's going to be perfect. Ready to go. <laughs> we're right. going to put it up. And I think a lot of people think that's that's the process. And I think even even a lot of writers that have written for a really long time in, in a way put that yeah, pressure on totally themselves. totally negates what the actor can bring to the yeah. script. It, it totally negates what the director can bring yeah. to the script. And... And theater is a collaborative process mm -hmm. of everybody involved. Yeah, I think um, Mama Moon and fires on all cylinders. It's it's magical. Yeah, well, it's and I magical. Think, I think Mama Moon's been a great process for that. I think it's really. I think Tom has really enjoyed the process, and I think it's opened him up to maybe how to work on some of his plays moving forward. Because I think it's. I think the set has helped him, right? I mean, I think yeah. I know. I know in rehearsals when we first started rehearsing, and because Walter gave us a set that was able to not have these walls. Mm -hmm. Right. All of a sudden, it, it created a different dynamic and a different depth of how do we handle the phone calls? You know. Yeah. Now all of a sudden, the, the the it's not a hard box set with walls. Now all of a sudden, there's a little more fluidity in the design, which allows for the play to have a little bit more fluidity, which allows for things to just kind of work better together. And that 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 was an instance where the design really helped inform the new play. I think. You know. And then seeing that design and using that design to help the the writer see. You know, it doesn't have to be the movie in your mind. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, get, and getting writers to think in, in a theatrical way as opposed to television or, yeah. or, you or know, movies. And that's the difficulty we face in the 20, you know, in our time <clears throat> is that because all of our audiences have come up on, you know, not even just realism, but, you know, in, in certain cases, you know, all this, you know... Um, Star Wars, where they can just make these worlds with right. CGI, right. And, and so oh, you want you know twelve thousand droids to come and attack you? We'll just dial it up on the computer. <laughs> and if you look back in film to say like American in Paris, where you have the Dream Ballet, which is highly theatrical, mm -hmm. you know, you know that's an incredibly artistic piece there, and and. Our audiences have lost that 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 sense of art where it all everything has to be realistic, mm -hmm. everything, and so I I think it almost insults them mm -hmm. that they have you know to be presented everything on a plate <clears throat> like. And I think that. that you know from what we were always taught, Ian and I anyway, from Charles Smith, author of Jelly Belly. Uh, was that he says, you know, drama is conflict in the mind of the audience, which means like what we said earlier about, you know, you can hang photos and you don't need the wall because the audience will connect the dots, right? Mm -hmm. That's what I always tell the playwrights. Mm -hmm. Like our job is we're playing connected dots with the audience. All we're doing is providing the dots and it's up to the audience to connect them and come mm -hmm. up with the image. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I think, I think that's what's great about theater because it, it flexes those muscles that, like you said, audience members don't necessarily do anymore because they watch so much TV and, 
in movies that are all CGI'd and there's nothing to it and it's lazy to sort of sit there. And sometimes I don't think playwrights in general understand that audiences come here into different experience. Like they are physically, literally invested in what is happening on stage. So we have to be able to hold that attention <clears throat> and use structure or something in order to keep them there because we're not like in TV or movies where they can just stare at a screen and the camera is telling them where to look. You know, designers, for example, have to mm-hmm. have to tell the audience where to look on this giant stage. If it's this corner, if it's this corner, if this is where the light goes or whatever. So then what is our advice to new playwrights mm. in this respect? You know, what are there trends that we see like, look, this is just not what theater is, either whether it's design <laughs> Or whatever. Annie <laughs> you know, Baker? What? Right. <laughs> you know, like, I would never spend uh, a page and a half describing the set like mm-hmm. Eugene O'Neill would do. Mm-hmm. In fact, my new play, uh, I think it was like half a page describing it before I even got the dialogue. And for me, that was like, what am I even doing? Who do I think I am? <laughs> Tennessee Williams, apparently. Right. <laughs> so, what is our advice to new playwrights? In that respect, to me, it's. It, have you ever written a play, August? I have not. Okay. I have never written a play. We've done everything else, pretty much. Everything else, yeah. Except co- I've never done costumes. I've never done costumes for a play. Leave that to other folks. But to me, it, it seems like the most one of the most important things is to keep an open mind. I mean, clearly you know the story you want to tell, um, but the theatrical elements um, to me are something that comes out in the process. And if you lock yourself in. Uh, too much. It's what it's what Peter Brook calls the deadly theater, you know, because you get you get stuck to conventions that may or may not work, may or may not be honest or or matter with the story that you're telling. And, you know, so at the end of the day, it's about it's about the words that are said, you know, right. That's to me what a playwright does. Those are the dots. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I, I don't think there's any rule of thumb and. I mean, it it really is about what the script is bringing to the audience. Um, and assuming all playwrights understand the, the, the process, that there are all these many contributors involved with staging a production, and you know, those, those productions can be completely different. I've done back-to-back productions of Cherry Orchard and other shows at different organizations that were different plays. Mm. Um, is that right? Is that wrong? Was one wrong and was one right? I don't think so. But And they each brought their own perspective. Um, it, for me as a designer, it, it, it's really about what the other artists have interpreted that piece to be. Um, and and then support that from my standpoint and it also you know it depends on the environment the theater the budget you know your sure. skill level the money you've got etc 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 um but it, it it is important for me that it be you know i tend to be a stripped down designer i like mm-hmm. less than more mm-hmm. i mean i saw a production in stratford one year and they were in the forest of arden and the scene comes up and like five leaves drop from the grid. Force of art, I'm done. Yeah. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, Shakespeare, um, what the hell did he have? I, 
other than Shakespeare than, plays, and he doesn't talk about anything about the set necessarily. Absolutely. That damn bear. Yeah, the bear. <laughs> but that bear leaves right away. Right, right. <laughs> Stage left. Right. Um, and and so that, I mean, it's one of the reasons you see you have such options with Shakespeare. Yeah. You're not locked into any of that upstage door kind of stuff. Right. Um, what do you think about, I mean, I, one of the things that I've thought a lot about lately is just the different styles of theater. So I think you said, you know, maybe what people would consider minimalist or stripped down is a style that I think you work in a lot. But, you know, what would you call Jelly Belly? Existentialist minimalism. Existentialist. I think that's your thing. I think that's what Walter <laughs> Boswell does. It's a lot to unwrap. There. Wow. Yeah. Uh, maybe we'll get to it. But it's a very different show than, say, like uh, Margin Bear. Yes, it is. No, it is. No, I'm I'm, not, I'm saying within those contexts, I think that I think that there's a I, lot of I space just, for exploration. I just don't know that playwrights. I just don't want to go on for forty pages. A front porch. What do I need to say a front porch? Right. Mm -hmm. And what I love most about that front porch are the bricks, the mm -hmm. little brick yes, foundation, yes. and the mm -hmm. paint, then the peeling paint. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, okay, I know this place. I used to walk by this house when I, you know, worked down at the steel mill. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. You just pick up a couple of elements that, you know, everybody can associate with. And it's like, oh, my God, Altoona. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, mm -hmm. fill in the blanks. Yeah. We all know those old peeling house yeah, I mean, especially here in Cleveland. Yeah, like on where I live, like my house. Only the top <laughs> But, you know, just those bricks and that texture of those yeah. walls, and there's only how many walls? Four, three? Yeah. A couple really little four. jogs, and yeah. it's not very big. It's not all there. Mm -hmm. um, and then the damn fire... Uh, plug and you know you, <laughs> you just need a couple elements to make the statement you don't have to go on for 40 pages right. about you know south side of chicago mm -hmm. and what would that help how would that help that production out mm -hmm. there it wouldn't and i love to just kind of focus it into a little floating environment as well mm -hmm. and yeah but that's very theatrical mm -hmm. sure that's very theatrical I, I sometimes worry that playwrights don't think in those terms. So I think one of the things, one of the things as an artist that I've that I've done, tried to do for myself, is to familiarize myself with art history more, and mm -hmm. art movements maybe even more. And and one of the one of the big things I did this year was a lot of research on expressionism, because of Harry Ape, mm -hmm. right? And and I think, I think that that would help playwrights a lot. I think in a lot of ways, if if the if playwrights had a, a firmer grasp on on artistic movements throughout history, I think that just gives them a context sure. for them to work to work in and to say, you know what, I'm going to try this writing a play in an expressionistic style and see and maybe it's terrible and it doesn't work and, you know, audiences struggle to understand it. But but that's a valuable experience for them moving forward because it forces them to think theatrically in a, in yeah, a, I mean, I think there have, been, a, there have been enough movements even in the last century, right, between Expressionism or Dadaism or yeah. Neo-Futurism yeah. or Futurism. Uh, and I think, yeah, I think that's an excellent point. And I, that may be something that even I as a teacher maybe don't stress enough, um, this idea of reading on – you know, I love finding theaters who do work that I could just never conceptualize myself, right? We've talked a little bit about Ariana Minushke's – um, Teatro du Soleil. Mm -hmm. How's that? I put a little Good brush job. Yeah. Whoa! 
there we go, y'all. Uh, you know, but the work that they do, and I, I find that stuff fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, I think that's an excellent point because it, in the way I, the reason I like doing it and kind of researching the stuff is because it just gives me more tools in my yeah. box, right? And I'm, I'm sure as a designer, it's sort of the same thing, right? Seeing these different artistic movements provides more. Um, more tools and more weapons at your disposal. Uh, certainly see a lot of theater. Certainly live longer. <laughs> well, I, I, seriously, I mean, many artists didn't really come into their own until their 40s, 50s, or even in some cases. Fingers later. crossed. <laughs> well, I mean, it's about finding your voice, right? Yeah, and the yeah. only way to do it is to do it and fail and climb that so, the mountain. And another important thing that I... I like to stress, and I don't see this often enough, is to work with different people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People get locked into an organization, and then they learn the X way or the mm-hmm. Y way, and 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 then they become <coughs> judgmental about anything else anybody else does. It's like, oh, well, that's the wrong way to do it. This is the right way to do it, the way I grew up doing it. And as a designer, you actually often are kind of bounced around all over the sure. place, and you know, even when I worked for a signal organization, you know, there would be a new director in the next week after this one closed, and and so we're on to another style. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I I think it is important to expose yourself to a lot of, of different styles and working with people, um, and be careful not to be judgmental about what you're doing. Yeah, and you know that's. That's true as a designer as well. You know, sometimes directors will bring me projects and they'll go, well, you know, it's, um, you know, it's this or that. And a number of times I thought, oh, this is just wrong. And I was amazingly surprised by how right it was. Mm-hmm. And so I, I learned some strong lessons that way that, you know, as a designer, I have to trust what the director is bringing to it, or resign. <laughs> I, I'm serious. Sure. I'm serious. Sure. Because if I can't get behind what that production team is putting together, I, I shouldn't really be on that production team. Um, and and you you have to have a lot of faith in the you know the people you're working with. Sometimes it it is wrong and it doesn't go well and that's part of the risk, but you have to be there for them. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can persuade and sort of urge, and, but <laughs> there's only so many times you can bang your head against the wall. I imagine. Um, well, yeah. Before you just design a different wall. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right, great. Well, thank you, uh, August Scarpelli and Walter Boswell, uh, designers and technical directors extraordinaire. Uh, Again, if you are listening, please uh, rate and uh, leave a comment on the show. And tell all your friends. This has been Tyler Whitten along with my co-host. Ian Hens. And we will see you next time on the Cleveland Stage Podcast. And remember, Tyler, all the world's a stage. Get Walter to design it. All right. (laughs) Boom. Yeah.